This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Welcome to this February 2nd edition of Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here with you with two special in-studio guests. And we're going to figure out how to get crime under control in city centers. That's our mission before this hour is out. Uh, as we welcome Edmonton City Councilors Aaron Paquette representing Ward Dene. And, uh, of course, Edmonton City Councilor Sarah Hamilton representing Ward Sippy Winuak. It's great to see you both here. A good morning to you. And you are proving that something can happen, something that we've been insisting needs to happen all week on our shows this week. Our theme has been different perspectives, meeting around the table, dis- discussing different ideas, hearing each other out. And and if people are to read what the scuttlebutt is around YouTube, we've, 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 got, we've got a counselor that sides with the conservatives. We've got a counselor that's run for the NDP. We have polarizing perspectives on, on some, if not all, issues. But here you are ready to go at it. It's nice to have you here. Am, am I done kinging this enough? Oh, you're doing a great job. <laughs> it's great to have you here, Counselor. Uh, I believe it's it's your in-studio debut for us. That's uh, right. Aaron, here in the new studio. And, and Counselor Hamilton, we last had you here when that regional transit plan fell apart. And so uh, we're great to uh, grateful for your presence. Uh, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, we want to talk about crime downtown. And a lot of people are saying that Edmonton has a very unique problem. If you're talking to people on the, on the street, I'm hearing from business owners we read our real talk email inbox people will say uh, edmonton's got its issues and i'll say it's a city of a million people what do you expect and they'll say no it's different they'll say it's different than what calgary experiences it's different than what vancouver experiences is that accurate councillor paquette yes and no and uh the reason is because uh as you may know calgary gets three times the funding that edmonton does for these issues from the province and of course vancouver i mean let's let's be frank it's a little bit worse Calgary is three times the funding yeah. in what? Go ahead. For shelters, for yeah. shelter spaces. But uh, but I also think the makeup of Edmonton is different. So this is something Aaron and I would agree on. Um, Edmonton is, is sort of the last stop before you go north. So Edmonton and, and our hospitals, our correctional facilities serve um, the territories, serve northern portions of Saskatchewan and British Columbia. So we have a huge catchment area. That means a lot of the issues um, that smaller communities might be dealing with end up filtering down into Edmonton. Calgary, I don't think, has that to the, the same extent. No. When, when people in the, in the northern communities, and it's a huge swath, say they're going to the city, they're going to Edmonton. It's that simple. So we actually are uh, a nexus point for a lot of stuff. Okay, so Edmonton's getting some bad press, right? And and some of it, quite frankly, is is being uh, amplified by the provincial government. And I'm curious to hear your takes on the relationship between Edmonton City Council and the, the provincial government. A, a guy by the name of Arthur Green tweeted uh, just a couple of days ago, and you can see it here, the Northgate Transit Center bus. One of their buses was destroyed by who he calls the meth man. A bus literally destroyed, he says. I, I hear it's hush-hush. 
by the city of Edmonton. Well, then you've got a, a provincial heavy hitter. You've got Mike Ellis, Alberta's Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services, chiming in. He says, this is a very concerning and disturbing scene we've been hearing about all too often. Citizens, businesses, community leaders have raised many concerns regarding safety while taking transit and walking down the street. And he's not wrong about that. No. He says that people in Edmonton have rights. He goes on a thread, and, and, and this is what caught my attention. You pushed back publicly, Councillor Paquette. You said, hey, Mike. Not hey, minister, by the way. Nice touch. You said, Mike, we've only been delivering this message to your government literally for years, both privately and publicly. What's different now besides an election? You said actions speak louder than words. I'll only trust evidence-based, effective, fully funded actions. Let's take it from there. Yeah, I, I, that says it all, right? The fact is that uh, we have been raising this issue and the, and let's get to the root of it. Okay, look, we, as Dale McPhee has said, we cannot police ourselves out of social That's issues. That's Edmonton's police chief, yeah. That's right. What we can do is police appropriately and enforce the rules that we actually have, which by the way, isn't happening. And I can't tell you why not. Why do we have open-air drug use uh, on transit facilities, for example? That's not allowed, and yet it's not being enforced. And I hear, oh, well, you know, uh, people, you know, our officers don't want to enforce that. I don't know why. Uh, if that's sort of something that has to be done, why is it not being done? And I'd like to, to get an answer on that. But, I like, consider, Aaron, that uh, our entire public safety workforce has been dealing with this for years and years and they feel from what i've heard that the um that the support for them and that enforcement has eroded over time so i don't know what that means it, so if someone's shoplifting and the support is eroded you don't arrest shoplifters i i think that there's a like i think that there's certainly a workforce morale issue but i also think that that it there's a little bit of impunity here like there is a sense now in across the city, but especially in core neighborhoods that you can um, commit vandalism. Like you've seen the videos of someone walking along and like cracking the glass on every storefront. You can do that and there's no consequences. Why? I, that is an excellent I question. I know, that is the question, right? Why are there no consequences? Why? Are there not enough police officers? Are you saying that there's no resolve? Well, you're on the, the police, police commission. Department? Not once has someone come to council and said, we just don't have enough police officers. I think there's been a little bit of that. That's why they talked about setting up the there, Healthy Streets Operations Center. There's been warnings Center. about the future, but nothing imminent and nothing right now. Because I would have I would have noticed that. And everything, every single counselor and everyone who pays attention would have noticed that. But then, okay, on the flip side, you come to council and you say, like, there is imminent danger. Uh, and you get accused of fear-mongering. And, and this is like an issue on, that drove police funding for decades. So then the response from council would be to increase the police budget, yeah? Which is, uh, I think... Which has happened. Which has happened in the past. And happened currently. With ha but targeted for Healthy Streets Operations Center, targeted into Chinatown, and only two years. Well, and yeah. police funding formula approved for 2023. Mm -hmm. We've also increased the funding for peace officers. Uh, yes, but and we're doing peace, it again and peace officers. Okay. No, but there is a conflation there that peace officers equal police officers and part of the issue no, they is don't. that they don't. Yeah, but, but they they do have the ability to enforce bylaw. They have the ability to enforce bylaw, but they don't they I don't believe they can arrest people. No, but they can. So for example, and they let's can say enforce it's transit stations code. where you know, we, we've got those pictures from mm -hmm. 
they do have authority to remove people from those transit stations. And we have teams that will get those folks to where they need to be, where they can be safe. It's not safe to do drugs in a transit station. And so if, if people need this help, that is what their authority is. And we have teams that will take people to the places they need to go. Do we do we do we want? I mean, I remember this this debate uh, back in the day with regards to Alberta sheriffs making traffic stops. Um, this has been an issue, I think, for quite some time. People uh, talking about unarmed officers and, and and officers and certain training with regards to law enforcement. Do we really want? Is it the role of? And and I, I have a civilian's level of knowledge here, a civilian's level of understanding. Do we really want unarmed? bylaw officers interacting with i mean if it, if this is and, and geez I, i'm jumping into all the tropes here and the and, and and the pejorative kind of language but with the meth man i mean assuming that this was some sort of a drug-fueled rampage that tore apart this edmonton city bus do we want to send in bylaw officers there or do we want to send in police that are properly trained properly body armored properly armed that's a good question and that's why bylaw can call the eps if they if they see a situation like that and eps can respond now, here's the interesting thing. A lot of your listeners may not know this. City councils cannot direct police services. That's not the way it's set up. You've got the Police Act, the Provincial mm-hmm. Police Act, and then you've got a police commission that actually uh, hires the chief and works with the chief uh, on budget, and uh, the chief actually determines deployment and all of those uh, different sort of mechanisms for policing. City council cannot, by law, get involved in that so we actually don't know what the deployment decisions are or why we have no evidence or data to verify about why things are the way they are or where people are going uh and why we don't know that and we can't know that unless uh eps or the police commission chooses to share that with council Here's some feedback from real talkers that are watching this live on YouTube. And, and by the way, I think words getting out on the first five minutes of this roundtable because all of a sudden the live tuning is just going up exponentially. So this is a good sign. Uh, but Sharon says, with respect, she says, Councilor Briquette's making it sound too simplistic. Uh, <laughs> hey, there you go. Brenda, Brenda says, and you can respond to that, obviously. Brenda says it's our legal system. A slap on the wrist and away you go. Dean says bylaw calling EPS and them arriving half an hour later does squat. Um, you know, uh, hey, here's Karen wondering. Uh, she, Karen wonders what the effect of closing supervised consumption sites uh, has had on this issue. I mean, we're, 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 I, I suspect that by the time that we're done this conversation, which might be 45 minutes, it might, maybe it'll be an hour. We'll see how it goes. Um, we're probably going to be talking about 10 different issues. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, right? let's, let's be clear. We are starting at the very surface level. Sure. It goes yeah. deep. We it, can start digging. It but does. I don't know how deep people want to get because the deeper you get, the more complex it gets. Okay. And then I don't want your listeners to just start have their eyes glaze over. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so I, I think one of the points that your uh, listeners made about the justice system is absolutely accurate something we've heard is uh and i think Councillor paquette has heard this is you can you can arrest people uh and you can go to lay charges and the the prosecution service will say yeah we're not going to prosecute this so then what people are back out and and usually with respect to i'm going to say uh uh, smaller crimes obviously or hopefully not not major crimes like murder but 
but it's discouraging. It's discouraging to essentially spend your life, I think, chasing around the same people who uh, might be uh, dealing with mental health issues. They they might be dealing with uh, addiction issues, but not exclusively. There are there are also uh, or like, and I think this is uh, something to note. Though that conversation about housing, mental health, and addiction has been conflated in an issue in in a conversation around crime and disorder, and it's a huge disservice to the people who are struggling with those issues because they get lost in the mess. Yeah, but like, who's conflating that? Because poverty does not equal crime. I yeah, nobody's saying that. Um, well, but some people are, and some people are saying, "Oh, we're conflating it." Who's conflating it? It gets it's the issue gets conflated, the, and the community. So the community. Well, okay will say like we see all these issues and the equation of supervised consumption sites and crime will happen i don't believe there is a correlation but to community members to people who live and and work in the area it feels like there okay. is and there's and, i see where you're going yeah and and so like that like there's a whole other conversation but i think in order to um to start to address those deep-seated mental health addictions and housing issues, you have to go for for the crime first. You have to start to set up the pillars of support around that. Issue. Okay, that yeah. doesn't hold water. I heard this in the in the presser yesterday. That doesn't hold any water. You got to go for the crime first. How about you do both of those things? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you something, uh, Ryan, because Sarah already knows this. There were cuts made to social services by the provincial government that are now coming home to roost. Why do you think we have such a growing number of people with mental health issues and addictions issues? Because those things were cut. Aaron, you also know that those issues existed long oh, before get, yeah, this sure. government. They existed long before the last government, sure. government before that. But Edmonton hey, let's being, not prevaricate. It's gotten worse. Uh it, you can't say it's gotten worse in Edmonton. Oh, I, can, oh, and then I also, think Edmontonians can say no, no, it's gotten no. worse. But you can't say it's gotten worse in Edmonton, but also that it's gotten worse in every major city in North America. And here's why. Because, because those are provincial two different. governments are not following the evidence and they're not doing things the way they should be. And this is the problem with politics is that things get too ideological. And then there's a battle on very simplistic things. Some people so are saying, like, "Oh, let's, let's do recovery." Oh no, let's let's do uh, you know, let's provide drugs to everyone. Let's do safe consumption sites. And as if they are two completely diametrically opposed efforts. And then you've got political parties that camp out on each one. Yeah. And the solution is obviously a combination both. of both. Yes. But why are we not talking about that? That's what blows my mind. We're talking about it. Yeah. That, well, we're talking about it, and I've been talking about it for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think I agree. We've we've sorry. Completely... My frustration on this issue is really don't coming you dare out. apologize. Yeah. Let's let's go like, back. I have though. passion about this. Table. Why do you, you think know this why table has such a strong because base? Because I've got pal. bags under my eyes because I don't sleep about this issue. Yeah, and and nor should you. This is this is our home. This is our city, and it's it's a million other people's home. It's a million other people's city. But to pretend that this started with this last provincial government is ignoring. No one's pretending that though. Yeah. That's a frame. That's not reality. No one's pretending it started. What we're saying is that it's gotten worse. Uh, I I think the issues were always like I th- like uh, Sarah, honestly has we're it looking, gotten worse. Uh, I uh, think let's ask Edmontonians. Well, no, yeah, I think we've rem- I think we've pulled we pulled out people from city centers. They went and worked from home. We are we've daylighted it. I think it was. I think it has been. Uh, 
uh, getting incrementally worse, but for the lack of mental health supports, for the lack of inpatient mental health care, for the correctional facilities that just dump people into our streets. And we have tolerated that in this city for 40 years. And that is unacceptable. And that, along with a lot of other nonsense, frankly, came from the federal government. And I think we are far too eager to lay stuff on the doorstep of the province without holding the federal government accountable. Who's responsible for mental health, addictions, housing, and shelters? Yeah, that's provincial. But who's responsible for corrections and indigenous, uh, indigenous affairs? Okay. Then we can also say, let's take a look at our Alberta justice system. Is Mm -hmm. it severely backed up? Yes, we we can agree on that. Yes, the there aren't enough prosecutors. I'm not running cover for the feds. No, but I'm saying, you know, sure. If you got three circles and you've got the municipal, provincial, and the federal government all in line, there is going to be some overlap. But that provincial responsibility is a provincial responsibility. Let's not like try to shift responsibility and let people off the hook. What would you say though? What would you say to the to the civilian perspective on this, which is all we hear from the different levels of government on this show and yeah. other talk shows that it's someone else's responsibility? Can I? I mean, even you too. You're, I really want to address this yes, right let's now. Let's do it. It's this not passing the, the buck idea drives me nuts. But we, it's all we hear about, counselor. And it's not that you're wrong in saying that health and education are a provincial perspective, or it's not that you're wrong in saying that this is the feds or or some people in our live chat saying, come on, counselor, step up. Here's what you can do about it. But it's the fact that there is a lot of yeah. shifting the blame. It's just a fact. Let me jump on this right now and let's clear it up. There are three levels of government. They have three levels of different responsibilities and sometimes they overlap a little, but not a lot. Here's the thing. When you, when you pay your income tax, when you pay your provincial income tax, you are paying for health care. You are paying for addiction services. You are paying for mental health services. You are paying for housing and shelters. And when that is not enough and the city has to step up, guess what? You're paying twice because now you're paying your property tax for something the province should have been taking care of, but they're not. So if people love paying twice, great. We're not just passing the buck. We're doubling the bucks. Mm. Here's the other thing is that uh, the province has legislation that tells municipalities what they can and can't do. We are not, as we saw last year in the spring, allowed without provincial uh, permission to make healthcare decisions uh, for our city. And and honestly, we shouldn't be. We, we don't have the resources. But why are we? Why are we spending hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars on housing and on trying to mitigate this effort? We're hacking at the leaves of the problem while the roots are literally lying with the responsibility of the provincial government. And instead of dealing with root issues, they're like, we'll give you 12 sheriffs, which, by the way, thank you, but we'll give you 12 sheriffs to hack at the leaves some more and we will continue to ignore the roots of the problem. So I like so housing is a shared responsibility. It's a whole of society issue. The city has always dealt in housing morally, to a yes, extent. and that's why we put in the money. Yeah, but, but legally, no. Uh, mental health and addictions, absolutely not. But the city, well before our time, Aaron, has chosen to get into it through uh, hiring social workers, through funding uh, programs, through third parties. Like we we waded into that pool. I I agree. I don't think we should be in that. We don't have the expertise. We don't have the ability to evaluate um, the outcomes of those programs. Um, But I also, and this is where I agree with Ryan, is that we're too eager to pass the buck. And we're not, not. there's like a, yeah, it's, but 
like they're I don't want to pass a buck. Them, I just want people to do they, their jobs. Yeah, saying to them, do your job, but not saying how, like, what can I bring to the table to help you do your job? What, what could Edmonton do? What could Edmonton's council bring to the table or the city of Edmonton to help the province do its job? I think this is the part of the conversation around the task force. Um, which is, you know, the province saying we want Edmonton, we want some perspectives at the table. Uh, we want to understand better sort of the on the ground impacts of the decisions that might be made here. And, and we need that perspective. Um, and, and I like, and I'm, I don't want to tell tales of school. I don't want to be presumptive, but I think, um, if, if the only interaction that you, uh, as a government have had, um, is about laying blame and and not looking for I'm going to say common ground approach. I know that some people won't like that term, but not looking for compromise consensus. How can we work together? Then then you know you can't build a relationship off of that. There's a whole lot of talking and no listening. Uh, but who's doing that? No one's doing that. We are coming to the table constantly with the province. Guess what? Last last summer. Uh, the justice minister said, you know what, we need a safety plan from Edmonton, and we're giving you two weeks to come up with it. Well, no problem, because we've been working on it for years. Give the average, person, like, give the average person perspective on how long it would normally take a council or a committee to put together a safety plan for a city like Edmonton. Half a year. Half a year. So two weeks is an accelerated timeline. But you said that the city had no problem doing it. No problem whatsoever, because we had it. And it's the same stuff that we've been delivering to them for years. We have bent over backwards they don't even have to do anything. We actually have a plan. It's a turnkey operation. They could just implement it. So for years, including the Notley NDP government? I wasn't there. I don't know. You were there. Well, yeah, we started on council at the same time. Oh, yeah, we were there. But here's the thing. So there was an overlap. And yes, but let's, let's be frank. The Notley government cut child poverty in half. But not crime? I don't know. I don't have those stats. <laughs> well, well, okay, well, I don't know I don't what think, they cut. Like, but what I, I can to tell be, you, I think to be this fair, is what I can tell you. What? No, to be fair, what I'm looking at is, I'm not looking at what happened five years ago. I'm looking at what we have right now. But people want to get a sense of like, yeah. if we're going to talk to getting to the root of the problem, okay, like so, how deep all right, are the so roots, how five years ago, we were problem, reducing right? the numbers of homelessness in Edmonton. It was actually on a downward trend. Yeah. That's where we were at, if that's what your question is. Uh, the province left money on the table. Federal government came and said, we'll give you money for housing. I, the province did not come to that table. But I've also heard we left money on the table because it wasn't... Because it wasn't what like, money do we have? No, we left money. We left other money on the table. This is Which what I've money? heard. Uh, uh, around housing. Because us- we cannot get a provincial cooperation here. Like, are we supposed to circumvent the province with everything and just deal directly with the federal government? I will and and that is what the rapid housing initiative how bad is the relationship between Edmonton City Council and the provincial government so what I was going to say to Aaron it's dead in the water what I was going to say to I don't think it's dead in the water but I was going to say I was mad about the justice about the decision of the justice minister but I reached out and I had that conversation and I would say how many people have reached out and said, I want to get to, I want to understand your perspective. I want to understand why these decisions are being made. I want to understand what message you're getting from our community that we're not because there's a disconnect there. I think they're hearing things that our people won't tell us. I know they are because I've sat in some of those meetings on the task force. They're, 
People are afraid to speak truth to our power, and that is bothersome. People are scared to speak truth to who? To the province? No, to us, to as council. To our city? Yeah. Who? No, seriously, I want to know because if we don't, if we're not open about these things, how can we fix them? Yeah. Okay. So, so I like, I don't want to tell tales at a school, but I have heard things in meetings where people knew it wasn't being broadcast that, that they were allowed to say their, their two to five minute piece. And, and some of the, I'm going to say some of the comments. But who, who are we talking about? People in administration or people in the public? Honestly, both. But, but I am referring to people in public. I'm referring to members of the public. Can I just say that it bothers me or troubles me that while both main political parties, the two the two strongest horses in this provincial election race, uh, the UCP, like with respect to some people, some engaged citizens that I'm sure are knocking on doors, they're not even campaigning in Edmonton. The provincial government, the, the United Conservative Party has written off Edmonton. Yeah. All of the resources are down in Calgary right now. That's the yep. battleground. If you're a citizen in Edmonton, that's troubling. Yeah, that's and a it problem. should trouble you. It should trouble you. But but like I'm a data-driven campaigner, Ryan, and if I were to look at any of the polling, why would you why would you send resources into Edmonton? But it says yeah, something. They're not sending it, resources it, it, into rural Alberta either. But it says something about how the province views the city of Edmonton. They're writing it off. Right? Electorally. And, and so, Electorally. But I don't think... Hold on. Let's also talk about how they're writing off rural Alberta towns. Well, they know that they have them in the bag. It's, and this is the age-old problem in Alberta. This is Battleground Calgary. Edmonton has left something really important on the table, which is our ability to assemble central and northern Alberta as a political force. And that is the only way going forward that Edmonton will kind of flex our muscles in terms of what we need because the issues in northern Alberta the issues in central Alberta end up feeding into Edmonton and until Edmonton demonstrates that we care about the Grand Prairies and Fort McMurray's and Cold Lakes and Wetaskiwins and Masquachis of the world then we're not going to get them to consider the our needs and our issues but what do you mean by that until we demonstrate we care so do you, th- these issues didn't arrive in Edmonton like some like 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 smoke. They came. F- people came from somewhere. They're coming from northern and central Alberta. Sure, and we can services. do that. We can do the provincial job if we have to. No, but that doesn't make a lot of sense, does that's it? That's not what I'm saying. No, it is what you're saying because what you're talking about is root causes yeah. again. The root causes end up in Edmonton. So, you know, what you're saying is Edmonton needs to go uh, to the Grand Prairies and whatnot and say, listen, we hear that you have problems. How can we help? And that's fine. Well, when we're talking... But that's the provincial job. I want to hear Hamilton lay When we're talking as a city, as a big city, when we're talking to the provincial government and saying you need housing resources in Edmonton, it's also, you don't just need them in Edmonton, Grand Prairie and Fort McMurray and Cold Lake. Absolutely. And they need hospitals and they need inpatient mental health care. Right. And and saying to them uh, that their needs are are subsidiary to our needs, putting them on the back burner, it has robbed us of our political Who's uh, doing that? Power. I think that's generational. I think that that's been a slow erosion over like I think that we're straying councils. really far from the issues of Edmonton when we start saying that we've got to start advocating for Grand Prairie. Okay, well, hang on. We're going to follow up on this in just a second. Uh, Councillor Hamilton is on this provincially appointed task force to address uh, homelessness, addiction, and crime in Edmonton. Councillor Paquette is an outspoken critic of that task force. We're going to find out why in just a second. This conversation is presented by the Dairy Queens of Northwest 
West Edmonton and Sherwood Park. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that there's a Dairy Queen in both of your ridings here. If I'm thinking correctly, I might be off by a slight boundary move, but Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline Road, shout out to Sherwood Park there. These are the Dairy Queens that are going to be represented this weekend as well at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic in St. Albert. We can't wait to see you out there. You can find all the details on our website under events. These are family-owned Dairy Queens that want to make sure that while you're making dreams come true this Valentine's Day, so you can order your custom DQ cake in advance. Nothing wows a Valentine like a Dairy Queen cake. Try out the Triple Truffle Blizzard cake. You can order it in advance or walk right into the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Hey, you want to really knock the socks off your Valentine? Why not let them know that you've requested a free consultation at California Closets. Yeah, that's right. You're going to transform your living space, whether it's the walk-in closet like Carrie and I did in our home a number of years ago, or maybe it's a an installed entertainment center in your grand room. Maybe you need something to do with all the boots and the coats in the boot room, or hey, maybe it's a garage makeover you're looking for. They do it all. Custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home. Make the most of your space with California Closets at californiaclosets.ca. So you tackle the inside. What about the outside of your home? What about your outdoor space? Why not get yourself set to transform your outdoor living space and bring it to life this summer with a call today to Eden Landscaping, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area, retaining walls, water features, outdoor kitchens, excavations. Maybe you want to run a natural gas line out to your garage so you can get a heater in there on a thermostat. Game changer. They do it all at Eden Landscaping, have done for more than two decades, still earning the referrals and the return business of their satisfied customers. It's Mike and his team you'll be dealing with, a family-owned business, Eden Landscaping's online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And hey, speaking of family, this business, this institution has been built on gathering around that family dinner table. And for more than 65 years, Friesen Brothers has been Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. Shout out to everybody who visited the Friesen Brothers yesterday, one of their 16 locations across the province. Of course, you got 15% off your grocery purchase. How cool is that? That's what our family did. We were there yesterday, filling the freezer, getting some fresh produce, and of course, all that fresh Alberta pork, turkey, chicken, and all the plant-based options as well that Johnny and his household enjoy. Oh, yeah. You can find Friesen Brothers online, including links to order a Valentine's Day charcuterie box. You can go sweet or savory at Friesen.com. The chat is on fire right now. The chat is smoking. (laughs) We're hanging out with Edmonton City Council's Aaron Paquette and Sarah Hamilton. I got to say two things. First, uh, my wife just texted me and said, calm down. (laughs) 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 And two, people should know that we're like, Sarah and I are engaged in a lively debate right now. 
but we're, we, yeah, we're, we're, we're friends. We're, we're gonna, yeah, we're like, <laughs> I want to let this people, is how we talk to friends. I, I want to let people know that for the, the 15 minutes that we were hanging out before we went live, you, you two were just you're hilarious, you're like best pals, you're completely delightful. And you were talking, it's like, it's like, uh, I don't know if you guys watch Peaky Blinders, uh, but but one of, one of the main Thomas Shelby, right? So he's 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 losing his daughter to consumption, she's very sick in hospital, and so he's losing his mind, of course, as any parent would. And he says, and he says to the doctors, he kind of raises his voice and he loses his temper for a second he's trying to save his daughter's life and he says i'm sorry he says i'm just a horse in a stall and i'm just kicking the stall <laughs> and so you two are just kicking the stall i had a t-shirt in college that said i yell because i care <laughs> and so we get it you're passionate about the issues but uh good on your wife for letting you know we we, we rely on the people in our lives to, to let us know when we need to dial it back five absolutely there i you warned go. you i get way too heated and passionate on this subject. both of you are passionate and i love it yeah my spouse just texted me to tell me to dial it up five percent so. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go why don't you guys meet in the middle here hey paquette uh why are you so against this task force this provincial task force we know that that Edmonton's mayor was not a fan because he said that council wasn't consulted on it and, and it's taking aim at crime in his or your or our city. What's your main issue with it? Well, yeah, there's that. But my main issue is that we already have the answers. We don't have to have a task force. We know what needs to be done right away. We can do the task force, sure. But in the meantime, uh, we already know what has to be done that isn't being done. That's why. It's a delay tactic and I don't like it. I I don't think it's a delay tactic. I well, why for those we, just okay, tuning in, but, let's point out that Councillor Hamilton yeah, I, is on yeah, the yeah, task force. Okay. I sit on it, and I I know that, and I want to acknowledge that a lot of my colleagues. That's been a really divisive issue, and I've got some work to do in repairing that relationship. Like hmm. I will, I like I'll own that. Um, but but I don't like uh, this. Is what I'll challenge you. I don't think the answers are that that um, uh, that apparent. And I'll say, we talk about housing, we talk about mental health and addictions, but we don't have the in-house expertise that we know the exact type of housing or mental health interventions. I think, uh, and, and I honestly don't think it's owned by one department. I think one of the advantages of the task force, honestly, has been seeing different departments from around the GOA, different departments from the city of Edmonton come together and say like, okay, this is the issue. Um, is there like, this is, this is what we're thinking. And it's been, I think a bit of a challenge panel. Like, how is this, how, like, how do you think this might be received on the ground? How do you think this, this might, um, impact communities? Sure. That's all great. But don't you find it a little bit cynical that we've been talking about this with this government for years and it's only happening months before an election? Um, I, you know, you could look at it that way. You you could also say this has been happening for years before that and nothing happened either. What I know mm -hmm. is action is happening now. There's a deadline. There's a Yeah, deadline. this is an election cycle. Yeah, but I don't to Ryan's point earlier, I don't think there's like like speaking as somebody who's who's seen uh, I'm mean, been through a few elections here. I don't think that there's ground to gain in Edmonton. Like I I don't think this is an election ploy for Edmonton. Like I don't think Edmonton's suddenly going to vote for the government. Is there a Calgary task force? Yes. But that's two major you're addressing major issues in two major cities. Yes, there's a Calgary task force, but if this was about elections, I don't know why you would put resources into Edmonton. I think it's the right thing to do fundamentally. 
Yeah. So speaking of resources, the province, what, stripped $13 million from uh, our police services? In 2019, yeah. What Aaron's referring to is the DNA analysis. They took that out of the budget. Um, so police services now have to pay for their own DNA analysis. Um, and uh, they also uh, took a larger portion of the, um, uh, what we call, t- like the photo radar yeah. money. But that was also a different, I'm going to say, financial situation that was, you know, trying to close a $60 billion deficit versus trying to having a $12 billion. Uh, They also cut immediately cut funding for Edmonton. They cut funding for all cities. For all cities. There's a lot of of talk about the provincial government in in this roundtable, like this morning. And and I understand that a lot of the funding comes from there and a lot of the the relationships need to coexist in a healthy way for programs to work and programs need to work for crime to be addressed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But for the person that's not like on the edge of their seat listening, for the other 3% that are tuned in, for someone that's not walking their dog or they're they're like vacuuming their living room while they're listening to this, they, they might take from the end of this conversation that, that the, the counselors or, or maybe even you in particular, Counselor Paquette, is under the impression that if Daniel Smith were to back a dump truck up to Edmonton City Hall and dump a billion and a half dollars onto the front steps, that all of a sudden Edmonton's downtown would be back and vibrant and crime free. We wouldn't have drug poisoning deaths. We wouldn't have homelessness. So I, what, what would you say? To, what, would, what would you say to that person? Is this all about the province? Is this all about money? I don't want their money for uh, for city council. I want them to invest in the people of Edmonton. But is it that simple? Is it that simple no, that the province I, of course isn't spending it's not enough that in Edmonton? Well, they're not. And it's not just Edmonton. It is Alberta health care. It is that mental health and addictions uh, component. It's that uh, idea that the only path here is recovery when we know from Ambrose plays that there are a lot of different modes that can actually succeed. If you want people into recovery, you have to get them to the point where they actually enter. What's the, what's the two-sentence description of Ambrose Place for people that aren't familiar? Um, it is a place where folks who are homeless mm-hmm. can find a place. Uh, there aren't a lot of rules or restriction placed on them besides like behavioral rules. Um, so they may have addictions, yeah. and they have addictions while they're there. You don't have to pee clean to get in. No. Right. You... You know, and some people they will never people get clean, where at. but some people mm-hmm. do get clean. It's yeah. a place where people can actually find a choice. To be clear, I don't think you should have to pee clean to get in. I'm just clarifying. Yeah, yeah I just think it's important to hear. I, I think part of part of the issue has been that for successive governments money has been dumped into all kinds of programs whether it's Alberta health services whether it's uh, on the ground community services and they and we haven't like we haven't seen the outcomes and as a municipal councillor as municipal government we're not in a position to say if something's working or not working but saying we can't I, I don't think fundamentally money is the issue I think it's figuring out what the most effective course of action is and something to Aaron's point on Ambrose Place, I think something we have to consider is that we talk about a lot of mental health and addictions issues as scalable issues. And I I don't think it's a scalable issue. I think actually treating it as a scalable issue exacerbates it because we cannot, you you have to uh, figure out what an individual's path to recovery or health uh, is not w- what a large cohort of people is. If public health writ large was working for these folks, it would be working, but it's not. So you got to, I think, take it on that tailored individual path. Yeah. And that's what, you know, th- 
and just the recovery model doesn't do that. And that's kind of a problem. Now, some people say, well, why am I putting all this money into these social programs? Why do I have to pay for addicts or homeless people or people with mental health? Because if you don't, it costs more. It's that simple. When you actually have social safety nets and people uh, can access them, it costs our system much less. And one quick example, if you, put someone, uh, if you incarcerate someone, it is over $100,000 a year. If you give them permanent supportive housing and give them the opportunity to change their life, it's about 40000 I don't think anyone's arguing against that. I think there's just a spectrum of, there's a spectrum of op- like all options for people. And I think saying, and I think this is a sticking point that only one option is an acceptable option is, uh, is, is not, is not workable. And I think that's where, honestly, there's been a huge communication breakdown. I like, and, and I think the city owns that as much as the provincial government. Did the two of you hear what happened, uh, what went down in the Ritchie neighborhood just the other night? Did you hear about how this, uh, it was Boyle oh, yeah. Street Community Services, oh, yeah. and, and uh, I had a friend reach out to me, an engaged citizen, guy knows what he's talking about, smart fella, he was there, he's a property owner in Ritchie, he's an empathetic guy, he's got a big heart, he's got an open mind. He said, this was really bad. He said the staff of Boyle Street was actually high and dry, they were there, he said that the room was angry, and he said the anger was palpable. And I might also, I wasn't there, but I might also invoke maybe the word fear, I think a lot of anger can come from fear. Uh, a fiery meeting report Stephanie Swensrud at, at, at my alumnus, 630 Ched. She was there covering it. Says a fiery meeting held over a proposed health hub in Edmonton's Ritchie neighborhood. They're, they're, they, don't, they don't want supervised consumption in their neighborhood. They're concerned about increases in crime. They're concerned about a decrease in property value. Now, this show's had a lot of conversations about this, including just a few days ago, and you can check out our archives. Uh, We ask, uh, are supervised consumption sites worth the money, or is harm reduction worth the money? Spoiler alert, the answer is yes, but, and the evidence points that it's uh, yes, but... Does this concern you that public attitudes in a relationship like Richie, and I'm not trying to throw bombs at Richie, great neighborhood, good people there, great businesses there, and it's been seen a resurgence, uh, but this was not a good sign just a couple of days ago. Are people's attitudes in a place where maybe minds aren't going to be changed on this one? I don't know that. And and with respect to to pe- the people who are opposed to the um, opening of a supervised consumption site in that neighborhood, I don't know that they're. I think they were doing a sort of good neighbor conversation, but I, I believe that it is. It's within the zone. It's a healthcare facility, and and so I don't know what the off ramp is. Like to be honest, and it's going to be hard for some folks in that neighborhood to hear, but I. I, I think it was identified, um, I'm going to through, say through AHS, that they need supervised consumption sites south of the river. They need supervised consumption sites in the West End. I think they need one in the north side. I think the agglomeration currently, uh, which means the the sort of... It's congreg- all downtown. Yeah, the congregation of them all downtown has fed into some myth around it. But I think once you stop seeing an agglomeration of services, you might actually... like. Like, I think you might see some of the arguments against uh, uh, the opening of supervised consumption sites, the opening of of shelter spaces uh, fall away because you don't have uh, large cohorts of people being drawn to one centralized service. Is it fair to say that the majority of people do, the majority of people, I don't know why I'm laughing, may support harm reduction, just not in their own backyard? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I empathize with those folks uh, in Richie, 100%. I completely empathize with them. And, you know, 
speaking of the north side, when you are uh, enforcing uh, social issues, what you do is you're just basically just moving around. Look at the encampments. You take one down, and because they have nowhere to go, another one pops up just a few blocks away. When you enforce downtown, you're pushing them basically along the rail lines. They end up in Belvedere. They end up in Clairview. And so you're not solving the issue when you're only enforcing and that's why we need a whole suite of solutions, not just enforcement, not just safe consumption sites, but you also need places for people to go. You need that permanent supportive housing. We need 20 more Ambrose places. Uh, and, and I don't think anyone's arguing that. I think it takes, you know, uh, it takes a long time for these kinds of interventions to come online. I think that's why the uh, the essentially the loan of 12 or the secondment of 12 provincial sheriffs was uh, a quick and and easy early intervention. But it takes a long time to hire people, to staff these, to train them properly. It takes a long time to build proper um, housing. It takes a long time to furnish it properly. Like I, I think we have to be realistic about the cost and time it takes to bring those those interventions online. Yes, I want to write some... In the uh, meantime, I just have to say... we. Are, <laughs> We also need to enforce the rules we have, which is mm-hmm. not happening. I love this from Ken, who says, I'm thankful we have counselors like Aaron and Sarah with their passion. He says, I can't imagine the feedback they get for serving us, uh, regardless of whether I agree with them or not on everything. Many thanks to them both. So there you go. A little wow. bouquet from Ken. Uh, Justin says the statistics support that supervised consumption sites actually reduce crime in the area. And, and let me bolster Justin's comment by pointing out that the statistics show, as a matter of fact, that that needles found on the ground, that crime rates actually drop demonstrably in communities where supervised consumption sites exist. I want to give you a chance to clarify. He says, why are we still entertaining the argument that Councillor Hamilton just posited? Do do you do you disagree uh, with the assertion that crime actually drops? I wanted to give you a chance to clarify. Uh, I don't. I don't. But I, I think something that's really um, and maybe helpful for people who are listening uh, as a city councilor, when people come with their own position, say the the say what's happening in Ritchie right now. Um, I don't think it's helpful to the argument to say to well actually them honestly i i don't because it's not dealing with the fear it's not dealing with the anger so i i agree with the fact we see the fact over time that crime does not increase it in fact goes down but people in the neighborhood have a preconceived notion that that is uh, what they can expect so how do you address not the facts but how do you address the emotion behind the issue and i think that's what good neighbor agreements are about and here's why crime goes down because the petty crime is people who are breaking into places, breaking into cars, whatever, to get money for drugs. That's why. Uh, I appreciate this comment from uh, Troy Pavlik, who, who's actually got, uh, if I remember, uh, one of the best Twitter bios of all time. His Twitter bio is that he's the TMZ of Edmonton City Council. Um, Troy, says, uh, Troy says, <laughs> Troy says, let's not give more airtime to the people who suck all the oxygen out of the room with anger. They're not the only voices. And and I do think it mm-hmm. is. It's 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 unfair and unfortunate. And, and and maybe I should wear this one to just say, here's what richie feels when you've got 100 people in a room but i but it's also not lost on me that for 100 people to take time out of their days and show up to something like that they are engaged citizens they are driven by something that brought them there whether it's fear anger opposition or otherwise there they are and maybe this is a good segue because i think that government uh and i think we 
like I'm, I'm not just going to point to municipal government or city council or Edmonton, but I think government has writ large has done a really terrible job of addressing the anger and fear and concern people have. And I think uh, by ignoring that or pretending that those voices are somehow invalid and I'm not saying they are factually correct or uh, they're making ethical arguments but to invalidate it altogether I think has been to the detriment of government because people have learned that their government doesn't listen to them and by extension doesn't care and I would argue we're in some really tricky positions right now globally uh, and, and it's filtered on down into Edmonton because of a uh ongoing mutual distrust between government and and the the citizens who they who we represent and i like that to me is is a crisis well, how do you, you can find all that in my op-ed tomorrow in the edmonton <laughs> journal nice plug nice plug how do you rebuild trust we, we had a wonderful conversation yesterday about the state of journalism in canada and how it got to where it's at we found some silver linings we found some reasons for optimism and we talked a lot with two experts on how the journalism industry and how journalists and outlets need to regain or at least bolster the trust that the public has uh, what can elected officials do what can governments do if anything you know what something that i stand by and will always do is when someone tells me that there is a problem i take that seriously I say you're right because from their perspective, they are right. Mm -hmm. And then we work on what we can do about that or what uh, touch points we can find. You know, in the journalism thing, you know, just to, to raise one point about, you know, I saw one of the things where I said journalists, uh, only 44% think that you should tell uh, both sides of a story. Mm. And people got outraged by that. But when we're talking about 15-minute communities, for example... Oh, here we go. Do you really want to tell both sides? Are they both equally valid? You want to talk about it. You want to address the concerns, but do you want to take those concerns as seriously? Well, you got to clarify. Yeah, you're talking... Well, first of all, Aaron's talking about the bias of fairness, but let's back up and yeah, talk yeah, about the 15-minute communities. Okay, yeah. can I tee this up? Yeah. Uh, the, the, there's the idea of what 15 communities are, and, and, and counselors, you can get into this and explain it properly in just a second, but... W. Brett Wilson, the father of the Orphan Wells, former dragon, tweeted a while ago, the Edmonton-based eco-alarmists have gone off the deep end. Nuts, crazy, irrational, bizarre proposal. You can check out the tweet that I'm showing you here right now from W. Brett Wilson. It's Edmonton's 15-minute cities. Of course, it's not a map of Edmonton. It's not 15-minute cities. But there you have it. So what's the deal? Are they really orphans if they have a father, Ryan? Oh, jeez. <laughs> there you go. Let me call him. No. He's the he's, he's the deadbeat dad of, wow. of how many of how many drilling rigs and how many wells in Alberta. So, so before blame. I don't have a lot of respect for W. Brett Wilson. You might be able to tell, but but I don't appreciate this type of thing. He went no. on later to say he a day later he said, "Just kidding, I love Edmonton." But that was uh, that was after his tweet had had seen. Uh, let me see right now, three hundred and twenty thousand views. Yeah, it and count. And there are people who um, will have seen that and they all have walked away with what they think are, is a fact. The problem, so to talk about what 15-minute communities is, in an Edmonton context, it's really dry. We have a lot of planning frameworks, uh, sort of, which mean that that's how our city is designed. We're required by, under the Municipal Government Act, to have a, a municipal development plan that says where development's going to go. And, and 
the proposal from administration starting as far back as 2016 was that if we're going to stay within the boundaries of Edmonton, we're not going to grow further, preventing urban more urban sprawl. Um, we have to consider how we're going to add amenities within already existing communities. And there's really good examples of communities that I think already meet that test, whether it's Garneau or uh, Oliver, where within 15 minutes you can access uh, uh, groceries, you can access public services, you can access um, uh, all, all kinds of resources. So you never have to get in a car if you don't want to. You never have to get in a car to be able to live out your daily life. Unfortunately, this notion has been taken up. Uh, so if you do Google, uh, the World Economic Forum has uh -oh. a, po yeah, I, I know I've said it. I've invited, I've invited people uh -oh. in. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> they did a post on 15 minute cities and what 15 minute cities mean in terms of an urban planning context, as well as relating it to COVID. And I think first of all planning is is dry and ap apologies to all our planners out there but planning is really dry and and it's been taken up by i think an element i'm going to say an element operating in bad faith on the internet and they're saying hey you got to watch out for uh, a, another example of government overreach uh and an encroachment on your freedom where I pause here is that I, I don't I don't want to entertain the bad actors. Brett Wilson should certainly know better. Um, and but um, there are people who don't know better. There are people who have lost that trust in their government mm -hmm. and weighing what someone on the Internet has to say, um, who they by and large have agreed with in the past versus the opaque government speak jargon that we can get into with planning uh, and, and urban design, they might put more weight in that anonymous internet commentary. And that concerns me because they don't, uh, and I've had a few people reach out and I'm happy to just give them the information so they can learn about it themselves. But I think our, our senses in, in government is to get really defensive about this stuff. It's to come back at people with with big words and government jargon and not meet them where they are. They're trying to understand and, and to give them ample opportunity to engage. So they don't feel shut out of their mm. government. Yeah. Is it a fine line to walk? Is it a delicate balance? Uh, Charles Adler started this conversation on Monday on this show and, and, and it was an impromptu thing. And I love that he did it, but he started talking about the fact that, that, that he found that online and on Twitter that he, he had actually, he, he kind of, it was a confessional in a way, he said, I've, I've been a little bit disingenuous with some of my takes. He says, I haven't been 100% real with some of my takes because I haven't been looking for confrontation. I haven't been looking for conflict. And so we opened up the door to, to start talking about, well, can we not meet in the middle? Like his thing was as a longtime conservative, a lot of progressives started following him after he went up one, Jason Kenney's one side and down the other. And then the progressives put him through their purity test and realized that he didn't fit. And then now he found himself in no man's land. And fascinating subject matter so we've been exploring it on and off for the past few shows and when i ask have we lost our ability to step outside our camps have we lost our ability to meet in the middle for a lot of people and i'm getting a ton of responses i'm talking hundreds of them a lot of people are saying i don't entertain stupid i'm sorry i'm not going to entertain disingenuous arguments and it feels like i mean as a counselor i understand what you're saying we need to clarify we need to meet people where they're at that's part of your job but i wonder if the human appetite for that is waning yeah, well, okay. So I feel for Adler, though, because he's lost the purity test for conservatives and progressives. Exactly his point. And, and uh, 
that is, this is, a, I think, a symptom of social media, where the more extreme you get, the more clicks you get, the more attention you get. Uh, we don't have that generally uh, on a city council level because we don't have teams. We are essentially one team. That's why Sarah and I can disagree about things, but also at the end of the day, uh, you know, share a laugh and be friends mm. because it's not so much that we're meeting in the middle. It's that you need to hear all perspectives and you need to hear them uh, with an open mind. And then you take the best from each of them. And maybe that isn't the middle, but at least you're taking the best of all ideas. And that's, you know, it goes back to the idea of recovery versus safe consumption sites mm -hmm. and all of that. None of those extreme views encapsulate the entire complexity of an issue. I, and I, I think, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I would have disagreed with Aaron on the social media piece because there was a lot of research out of Pew Institute at that time that showed that people who were on social media were more engaged in daily life. But that's taken a really dark turn. And I don't know that that is true. Anymore. I agree. Um, I, I do think we have lost our capacity to to um, have thoughtful, different interactions with people. We, it's not just the, social media has forced us into camps or forced us uh, or, or sort of aggregated our news feeds into one particular political perspective. It's that we aren't in workplaces as much where we are interacting with people from div diverse life experiences. We're not all consuming the same news sources anymore. 40 or 50 years ago, you had three channels and you had two daily papers. Yeah. And and the radio and that was it so so while i i hear what people are saying you know i don't entertain stupid unfortunately for uh for every opinion you think is stupid someone thinks one of your opinions is stupid and like how are we going to build a city no nevertheless a a province or country with all of these complex issues if we can't kind of start to understand that those those opinions, while they might be misinformed, they might not be factually accurate, are coming from a place of deep feeling. And and we need that kind of deep empathy as leaders to to address these monumental issues. Yeah, and what you're talking about is online echo chambers mm -hmm. that you know people just get further and further down their rabbit holes until they're you know it, it, it takes complex and important issues and turns them into team sports, which doesn't really work when you're trying to solve human issues. Now, you raise an interesting point as well, and that is uh, the idea of empathy. There are people who will leave me messages or email me. I'll call them or go visit them at their door. Yeah. And it's a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, and we've lost that, like, whites of your eyes thing. Like, uh, you know... It, you can now send missives out online and you never have to look that person in the face. It is so much different when you show up at someone's door at a meeting, when you pick up the phone and call them and have these interactions and, and people recognize that there's like a living breathing person on that other, on the other side of that conversation. And honestly, as elected officials, that is a really good touch point for us because if you're not careful and you know this Ryan from years in, in media, social media will grind you down and give you a pretty dark view of humanity. And that's not, that's mm. not who we are. That's not our city. That's not our country. Yeah, my experience in the community is that people are, are good people, mm -hmm. and, but in our inbox, yeah. we have got a folder that says people are great. And it's got 12 emails in it. Oh, I'll send you one today. Thank you. You can and, and it's, make it, it lucky 13. 
yeah. thanking you for your now, time and your not candor to say that not everyone's show. not great but it's I more, get it. it's not great people are kind that's what it's called well, people and, are kind and you know and you know yeah. but also though like if you were to base like when do people we, we always tell ourselves this in media because if you were to, to read your own feedback or, or read your own press coverage yeah. of course you would believe that you're the, the worst fucking person on planet earth uh, that's the way what you would be led to believe but but very few people take the time to write in or comment when they're happy or when they're content or when they're comfortable it's when they're pissed off right that that's yeah. when people take the time for feedback i love this i asked uh, just the other day on january 31st a couple days ago i asked can anybody on my twitter uh, can anybody respectfully disagree anymore or are we so entrenched in camps meeting in the middle is a thing of the past and i love all the people that have watched this so so get this calling it out five uh, with no profile picture which is typically for me a sign that i will not respond but this was such a pleasant surprise. Calling it out five is the handle. How many followers do they have? Two. Two followers. They said, we probably cannot meet in the middle. They said, Ryan, I know I don't agree with your politics all the time, but I still respect you. You had the awesome decency of saying hi to me and my partner at an Euler game, and our conversation proved you're a class act. Now, I'm not reading that to say that this guy said or person said that I'm a class act, and I bet they were a class act too, but what is it? What was the key? Running into them in person, in public, and having an interaction that that person remembers, and that said it all to me. That's the key to it, right? Maybe I'm oversimplifying, you're but not. in person. Community is the key. Mm. Yeah, I, I absolutely, I, I think I said this on, on your show in a different context another time. If you want to build safer communities, you want to build a more inclusive city, it isn't going to come from the top down. Aaron and I would probably agree. It's not going to come from more police. Um, it's not going to come from uh, uh, more government programs. It's going to come from individuals in their neighborhoods going and meeting their neighbors understanding what their needs are you don't have to invite people over for for thanksgiving dinner you don't have to hang out with them but knowing who the people are around you is in a time where people are isolating themselves is is a radical act of connection i want to ask you Councillor paquette why you did vote for the budget and of course we'll ask you why you didn't uh, because you got a shiny new building but you still didn't vote for the budget so we'll get into that in just a second plus what needs to happen to fix Jasper Avenue does Edmonton need a lobbyist registry uh, why are at least one of the councillors here not a big fan of regional transit plans and how's Edmonton's anti-racism strategy going that in just a second these conversations don't happen without park power Powering our hashtag. That's Real Talk RJ. They're your friendly local utilities provider. You'll find them online right now at parkpower.ca. Do what we did. I'm not joking, you real talkers, because I wanted to be able to tell you the absolute truth. Okay, I started my timer on my phone when I first signed up for Park Power, and I can tell you it takes five minutes. It takes five minutes to bring your business, electricity, natural gas, and internet to Park Power. And when you use the promo code REALTALK23, that's REALTALK23, you can save up to $150 off your first bill. If you bundle all three services, 50 bucks for each, electricity, natural gas, and internet, the promo code is REALTALK23 at parkpower.ca. Now, once you're signed up with Park Power, then you're all set up to get... Hey, even more money flowing your way once you've got your solar panels installed by Kubi Renewable Energy. Why? Because in the summer months, June, July, and August, maybe even into September if we get lucky, your system's going to be giving you more juice than you need. You can sell it back to Park Power. 
And they're going to pay you in some circumstances four times more than the big guys will. Kubi Renewable Energy is Western Canada's most trusted and highest grossing solar installer. They told us they're doing one in five solar installations in BC and Alberta right now based out of Edmonton and Kamloops. How wild is that? If you have questions about what solar might fit or what it might not, you've got an off-grid property, maybe you've got a dairy barn, maybe you've got a big industrial complex, Kubi does it all. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Don't forget, they're also presenting positive reflections every Monday. If you have a good news story we need to hear about, we'd love to see it in our email inbox. That's talk at ryanjesperson.com. Good news stories, silver linings, stories of human kindness every Monday presented by Kubi. Then, of course, bookended at the end of the week, Friday, tomorrow, Local Environmental Services gives us trash talk. We have a very special edition coming up tomorrow, by the way. We're bringing in a guest trash talker. Yeah, that's right. She sent us an email. I said, this needs to be delivered in your own words. And so she's going to. Has to do with cycling downtown. Trash Talk is presented by Local Environmental Services in Alberta and Saskatchewan. They're keeping it local. To them, it's not just garbage and recycling. They believe communities deserve better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. That means when you give them a call, a human being's going to answer the phone. It means when you go to localenvironmental.ca to request a quote, a human being is going to email you back, and that's just the beginning. They love to compete for business. So if you're already doing business with someone else, why not check out localenvironmental.ca? See if you can save a few bucks for your business's bottom line with local environmental services. Two followers and no profile picture. That sounds like Charles Adler's burner account. It does sound like <laughs> Adler's burner account. I'm trying to remember. Did I talk to Chuck in an Oilers game a while ago? That's what that he really wants to say. But to I you. would, I, Johnny. I would. I honestly, I on principle because I've gotten myself in trouble. Me and my big mouth have gotten myself in trouble before responding to mm-hmm. two followers, no profile mm-hmm. photo because I always see it as disingenuous. It's always but, a burner account. But that person had some kind words, and I appreciated it, especially when you're kind of bracing yourself to get burned. You know but what I mean? Maybe they're in a position to not. Be publicly agreeing with Ryan Jesperson yeah, is what I'm saying. Be, yeah, oh, maybe it's a government <laughs> minister. Is that what you're saying? We're hanging out with city councilors Aaron Paquette, Ward Dene, and uh, Councilor Sarah Hamilton out of Ward Sippy Winuak. Uh, councilors Hamilton, you voted no to the most recent Edmonton city budget. It's a four year budget. For people that aren't familiar with the process, it sounds like it took long hours to get this thing done, and it passed uh, in support uh, with the vote of Councilor Paquette. What did you like about the budget? Why'd you vote for it? Uh, why did I vote for the budget? Because yeah. I have to take a look at it and, and ask myself, does this do more good uh, for the city of Edmonton than harm? And of course, it did more good, and that's irrefutable. Did you have any mixed feelings about it? Was there something about the, the budget that, that you regretted or you wished was in there that wasn't? Oh, of course. Uh, you know, Nack and I both wanted to see more money for uh, snow and ice control, but uh, that wasn't uh, it wasn't in the cards for for this version. Although. People should know we have check-ins uh, in the spring and then again in the fall, spring, fall, spring, fall. So there's lots of opportunities. What was the sticking point? Remind us. I asked you this question before, but you voted against it. I did. Um, so, uh, and this is like going back six weeks, which feels like eons ago. But for me, it was um, the, I think the big thing was the regional transit question. I, I also didn't like um, that we weren't uh, sort of, we, we didn't put more money into snow and ice. Uh, I We're at if we're going to say like a 50% solution in 2022, in 2023, it saw a reduction to about 20%. Um, and that, that concerned me that we weren't going forward with 
um, I'm going to say like for like funding, we may be able to reallocate that later in the year. But overwhelmingly, what we heard through uh, 2022 was people wanted to see core services like that Mm. um, um, dealt with. Uh, as a priority. This so. is uh, an interesting comment here, bringing this back to the whites of the eyes, bringing this back to community. Love this comment from Shalane in our live chat on YouTube. She says, I, you know, I'm seeing this as at school as well. She says, mm-hmm. since COVID, not having parents be able to go into the schools and meet face to face has really hurt parent-teacher relationships. That's uh, an interesting insight. What about even people and their physicians? What about, I mean, I know mental health counselors have been doing their best over Zoom. For some people, it's made counseling more ex- uh, accessible. Uh, for others, it's it's posed a problem. Um, regional transit. I, I know you were choked when this fell apart. I had a chance to talk off the record, uh, which means I won't get into details with former Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson, who's, to use my word, not his, absolutely heartbroken that this thing fell apart. Uh, is it fair to say that you don't see a lot of value in it, Councillor Paquette? Where do you stand on the regional transit plan? These are all of Edmonton's. They don't like to be called this, but they're bedroom communities, Spruce Grove, uh, Fort Saskatchewan, St. Albert, all, you know, Stony Plain, obviously, et cetera, et cetera. There is absolutely value in regional transit. I support regional transit. I just did not support this model for the simple fact that it was another level of bureaucracy and cost uh, a lot of money, uh, tens of, over $10 million a year, $14 million a year just for that. And it duplicated services that we already have. And frankly, uh, our administration and uh, administrations from other towns say, we don't need this. We can just do this ourselves. And they are already starting uh, those talks. And let's not forget, we already have buses coming from St. Albert and going to St. Albert. We already have buses coming and going to Sherbrooke. But they Park. have and buses going too. The buses yeah, are yeah, passing but, each other on the highway. And let's also remember that the half of the uh, the surrounding municipalities already bailed on the on the concept. They weren't signed up. And the, I've I think talked, I've Park talked, wasn't. Like, Strathcona County Yeah, and I've talked to up. different councillors and mayors from other uh, municipalities who said, you know, frankly, it's not really something that we're very passionate about. So this is what chokes me up, though, is you talk about the cost and you talk about the duplication of services. That was something that Edmonton City Council asked for in order to uh, assure that uh, our current routes would be serviced. So we wanted parallel services running for the next five years, and that drove up the cost. And then when we got got the bill when we got actually what it cost we said oh that's too much let's walk away and that to me is like and and this isn't about you aaron this it, it's a frustrating disingenuous argument to me and it got made a lot i'll tell you why it's not when you're done <laughs> it got made a lot there was a lot in my feelings and this really really bugs me it, there was a some some bad faith arguments and i think we had councillor knack sits on the regional transit authority uh, there were questions asked that could have been easily answered through that governance model but I don't think it was bad faith. Well, maybe there were some, but not for me. I'll tell you that. Do you fear that the relationship between Edmonton and surrounding municipalities has been damaged? Uh, We've heard from some credible voices that have that that fear that the relationship's been set back 10 years. I okay. so I have to be careful with what I say here because I don't want anyone to feel offended. But I will say that in my conversations it's not a big deal as it's, as it's being made out to be. I will tell you that. And I think that that's a fair thing to say. I will also say that it, was, it would be very hard for me to go to my ward and say, we're putting money into regional transit, but we're not improving your transit. And I've got a community that doesn't even have a bus route. There's no way I could go back to my community and, and sell that. I've, I mean, I also have communities that don't have bus routes, but we know like that if... 
so so transportation sits with the Edmonton Metro Regional Board, uh, EMRB, um, and and so we know if we're going to be um, as a region an economic factor, we have to have uh, like coordinated transit, and that I think there's some statistic out there, and and. Uh, Perhaps this isn't the forum for it, but as many people commute into the downtown as they do outside of the city. And so we're losing a lot of people who aren't able to get out of your neighborhood or my neighborhood to jobs outside the city because of a lack of coordinated regional. How transit. many people? I, it's this is in poverty Edmonton. They they and, and this is why I hate quoting statistics, but it was commensurate with the amount of people who are commuting into the downtown. Yeah, no, and I agree with that, but, you know, and I feel for that, but at some point you've got to draw the line and say, we got to take care of Edmontonians. We got to take care of them first, but, and we got to take care of their roots. You need roots in your ward. I need roots in my ward. And if we're putting $10 million, $14 million a year into a bureaucracy, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And and I think we're walking a fine line there of becoming isolationist, that it's and this goes back to our conversation earlier. If it's if it's Edmonton's needs first, it's really hard to get the other municipalities in the surrounding area to care about the things that we need help with. And I would agree with you if we didn't have Edmonton Global, if we didn't have the Alberta Industrial Heartland Association, if we didn't have all of these other ways that we work with the region on economic benefit. Um, but when it comes to the service that Edmontons are Edmontonians are paying for, which is transit, which needs to be improved, and no one can argue that, I would rather put that money into improving transit right here in Edmonton before we talk about trying to improve transit for the region. That I think though has been false equivalency, and and I, you and I will probably agree to disagree. No one said it's regional transit or improving Edmonton, and that's why transit. our administrations are going ahead with regional transit, just without that added level of bureaucracy. Uh, Edmonton doesn't need a lobbyist registry. Your your colleague on council, Michael Jan, says Edmonton needs a lobbyist registry. Uh, both of you look like you don't answer the question. We. Like we've, we went through this, I want to say four years ago. And one of the key issues was how do you define a lobbyist in municipal government? Because the, the definition that we were given at that time was really broad, it included anyone who was advocating to you for issues that weren't directly in your ward. Okay. So that includes, um, say, uh, climate action. It includes uh, 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 investment in social services. It had a very, very broad definition and it had a very, very broad so your approach in a grocery store, which happens all the time, and it was, well, you you now have to report that person X approached you in a grocery store. Person Y approached you at, uh, well, you were having dinner with your family on the weekend at a restaurant. And it put the onus on counselors and counselors offices to report on who was and wasn't a lobbyist that is out of sync with what every other uh, government does. You register as a lobbyist. You say who you're going to meet with and you report when you've had those meetings. Uh, and so it, consider the amount of people as a city councilor or the mayor you meet uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Having to, at the end of your month, sit down and enumerate that is a huge amount of work. Like, and, and Hundreds so council, and hundreds of entries. Hundreds and hundreds. And included written correspondence. Like, So anything outside your ward that wasn't directly related to constituency issues could be and would be reported as lobbyists. And there's another aspect to this. Like, sure, let's do it. I don't... Like, if that's what... People People want, we'll do it. That's fine. But 
who's not going to game the system? Like that's that's my question. Like like we'll do it faithfully, but there are people who will not do it faithfully. And maybe no one on this council, but you have to think about future governments when you make these policies. How easy would it be to just not include something or to or to say it was a different conversation? Like that's what I'm saying. Like how do you have those actual checks and balances that this is supposed to provide? And, and when you and it's not encoded in the MGA. So what's the consequence if you don't do it? Yeah, there is I mean, no there's there's public shame, certainly, and that has has an effect. But but you cannot, uh, dissimilar to what happens at the provincial and federal levels, you can't be fined. You can't uh, uh, face uh, jail time, uh, which I think you can federally if you, you really violate the Lobbyist Act. There's yeah. no consequences for that. So it would be uh, a lot of and this is going back four years when we originally talked about it. Maybe there's some updated information. We're going to hear about that. But uh, uh, so you go through a bureaucratic process to what end? Yeah. And hey, I don't mind doing it. It's just yeah. show me the utility of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edmonton's anti-racism strategy. How's it going? It's in progress, and if there's a progress bar, it's near the end. It's, it, we're, 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 like in a we're good way? We're getting very close, in a good way, yeah. Okay. Do you agree? Yeah. yeah, Aaron sits on the Anti-Racism Advisory Committee, so he has, I think, a much closer lens on it, but uh, I think something Edmontonians should know, we have buy-in from our entire city administration. Like This is coming out of the city manager's office, and he's looking at, uh, I think, a different approach to addressing anti-racism in our city, and I... I think they're just starting to wind um, uh, they have a independent anti-racism body and they're just starting to work on the governance around that. I yeah. think it'd be an asset. And, and let me say, like, it, it's not that nothing is happening. There's a lot happening. There's been grants given out. There's lots of different efforts and uh, a lot of things have happened. Mm-hmm. But to have like, uh, you know, this whole thing just, you know, turnkey, ready to and go and you're on your own and let's, let's just make it all happen uh, every day. That's almost here, but we haven't quite got there yet. Because as you can imagine, there's a lot of different competing voices, a lot sure. of different viewpoints <laughs> that you've got to try to, you know, find a way to weave that together. Okay, uh, and I'm just me, and here we are, the last item on the list, and, and only uh, what are we? We're only 45 minutes past the time we asked you to stay, so we appreciate that, counselors. Honestly. For real, yeah. uh, I want you both to recognize and to understand how much we appreciate and how this audience appreciates your candor today and your willingness to just hang out. I asked both of you, I said, how long can you actually stay for? You both said, yeah, like noon. <laughs> I said, okay, great. Uh, Keith Gerard, uh, columnist, uh, of course, for the Edmonton Journal just today, has put out a piece, the headline, Momentum Building for Jasper Avenue, but Big Hurdles Remain to True Recovery. Uh, Edmonton's got its issues downtown. I don't take joy uh, or pleasure in talking about any of them. Uh, the city center mall it looks like that. What is the HBO series? The last of us. It looks like the apocalypse is already hit. Um, I've heard that security costs are out of control uh, every month to keep that uh, major footprint secured. You've obviously got a lot of restaurants closing down. You've got businesses leaving. We brought our business downtown and we're proud to do so. And we want to be part of that revitalization. I know you've got a motivated crew at the downtown. Downtown Business Association. I saw a lot of optimism, but also some reality checks at the Chamber Ball over the weekend. What are the biggest hurdles uh, right now uh, standing in the way of getting Jasper Avenue back to its days of previous glory? People. You need people. That's it. 
yeah, we need people. I, I think uh, having people live downtown again and and creating conditions under which people can can move downtown. It's a reasonable place to live. A, a grocery store just opened up in the ice district, which is great because downtown hasn't had a grocery store between 97th and 109th since Sobeys closed. And that's going back to 2012, 2013. So it, it's really important. Has it been to, that long? It's been a long time. Wow. Yeah. It, was, it was during the... The counts, like and one maybe of the challenges 20, of yeah. restrictive covenants when a when a grocery store closes, no grocery store can go in and take its place. Which yeah, which I think has been eliminated, but that's part of the provincial. Yeah. That okay. was a provincial thing. It hasn't been eliminated. Is it? Well, no, as in like no new on on right, new right, grocery right, store right. sites. Yeah, okay. but, uh, that's, so you've got this one opening, or maybe it's opened already in Ice District. Yeah, but, it's but, open okay. Already. So there's one example of something we're talking about. Yeah, but, but you you can't have people living downtown if there's nothing. Like they have to get in their car and go someplace it's else. The it's the chicken and the egg, yeah, right? Well, you've come full circle. Yeah. You know, if people don't, if they don't feel safe downtown, they're not going to come downtown. Uh, if people don't come downtown, you're not going to have eyes on the street, and you're not going to have, uh, you know, more people acting in ways that are, you know safe to to be around it's it's a very complex thing and one of the things that city council did i think prophetically a a few years ago was uh put out a uh basically a a grant system uh for uh developers who are going to build residential downtown because we saw the writing on the wall as far as office space and we thought we got to change this now other cities are now starting to wake up to that we started doing it years ago and uh, a lot of those places are being built right now they're going to open up we're going to have more people downtown when by the way you got the suburb downtown split Mm. uh listen you can't have downtown without the suburbs. You can't have the suburbs without downtown. If we can end that battle, that would be wonderful. I don't have a war with downtown or the suburbs. I grew up in the suburbs. We now yeah. live close to downtown. I think both are great. If it fits your family, perfect. Yeah, some of it is cleanliness. Um, uh, some of it is urban design. We spent years in this city focusing retail inwards into the Pedway system, into the mall. We lost the street-facing retail, right? And with that goes that natural surveillance that Aaron is talking about. Um, so I think we there's a little bit of urban design reimagining. There's there's certainly corridors, uh, and, and I look just north of City Center Mall where you have a mall on one side and a parkade on the other, and that doesn't feel like a really great street to walk down. So we have to reimagine imagine what our our downtowns and our cores look like but for jasper avenue it's it's so much uh you know and i don't want to put this on the ward o'dayman counselor because jasper avenue is our main street right it's it's the heart of our downtown and um so i think it's on all of us it's incumbent on all of us to to figure out uh, how to bring investment back downtown how to bring um, people back downtown, how to support those initiatives. Yeah. And this is a challenge everyone's having. Uh, I think that we need the residential, but if you look at streets like White Avenue or 124th Street, 104th Street, Rice Howard Way, uh, Chinatown, these are all examples where you've got a lot of uh, front-facing, uh, street-facing mm-hmm. shops and stores and restaurants. It makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge. Um, Rogue 10 on our live chat says, if you want people downtown, build rec centers or improve current rec centers, improve park areas. I know that there's big plans for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rogue 10 says, think of making downtown a place to raise families. 
Daniel says, what a great conversation. Thank you. Uh, others are saying the exact same thing. Shirley says, I really enjoyed this conversation. I only had to yell at my TV two or three times. <laughs> Shirley, which is amazing. And Dean's says, I appreciated the counselor's candid conversation, even if I disagreed with portions of it. Both of them are personal friends of mine. I got a lot of respect for both of them. That's uh, counselor Sarah Hamilton, counselor Aaron Paquette. You can find both of them on Twitter. Thank you for doing this. And thank you for your public service. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks Sorry I get passionate me. about it. I Don't really apologize do. yeah, for getting passionate. Yeah. I know that, you know, hey, the two of you agreed to the terms and conditions before you <laughs> sat at the table and the audience is better off uh, seeing the passion as far as I'm concerned because yeah. they feel it too. Well, it's sort of overstepping Sarah because I expected that she was going to overstep me and we're going to have this like fired debate, <laughs> but then it just looked like I was a bulldozer. <laughs> so thanks, Sarah. I'll, I'll think of some really good comebacks later. Yeah, there you go. You can, you can hit them up on Twitter and, and give them a good roast. Hey, but while we still have your attention I want to show you this beautiful original painting by author Louis Lavoie. I was thrilled to see the original bid on it. We had our first bid this morning, the opening bid of $300 from Dr. Bradley Martin in Hinton. Sure appreciate it. Louis painted this for us uh, for the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. Uh, it's a beautiful original painting of a pond hockey motif. Um, and uh, we want to show it to you. You can find it on my personal Twitter. And uh, of course, it's uh, one that we're going to auction off for charity, uh, for the charities that are benefiting from the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. That's coming up this weekend, Saturday at Larry Alexiak Field in St. Albert. But you can bid now on Twitter. You can find me there at Ryan Jesperson in $25 increments. Obviously, I hope this thing sells for a couple grand. That's what Louis Lavaz originals typically sell for. All of the funds will go to Uncle's Nance at Large and Kids Sport St. Albert. Again, bidding is open now. Thanks to Dr. Martin for the opening bid. It'll wrap up on Saturday at 3 o'clock Mountain Time. For those of you that were expecting to hear official opposition leader Rachel Notley on the show today, her office has sent its regrets but promised that she'll be with us mid-next week. Of course, we'll give you the heads up there. And Colleen, real talker Colleen, I know I promised that you would hear your email read while you were milking your cows in the dairy barn this afternoon, but because we've gone extended time with these counselors i give you my word colleen that you'll hear your rebuttal uh to the live export the horse trade so to speak conversation that we had yesterday it's a thoughtful response we appreciate those every single time talk at ryanjesperson.com coming up on tomorrow's show you know it's the real talk roundtable presented by our friends at urban timber in studio we're going to talk to the founding members of the magazine club they're looking at stats that show that women in boardrooms across the country Quite frankly, don't feel like they can be themselves, let alone say what they have to say. They think the magazine club is going to help get that trend turned around in the right direction. We'll find out how and why when we see you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer Josh Dunford, technical producer John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. 
Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.